0: I think a lot of people beat us up being in construction or construction tech. They keep on talking about the productivity gap and all of these things ultimately say that I think that we are innovative, hardworking industry that people don't think of enough because really everywhere you go, everywhere you drive, where you live, you know, where you work is all part of the built world. We're all in this together and hopefully we can start breaking down the walls between the key players and the processes so that we can make it better for everyone. You bring up a good point with IWMS solutions. The second owner, you know, where are they really getting that information? The problem is, is that we start every asset procurement. Like when you buy a building, we have to go and find out what's in this building. We have to do laser scans and asset audits and all of these things because we have no idea what we bought. And the previous owners not being malicious, it's just you can't like take a hacksaw and cut out of the IWF's database, the previous owner's data and like send that over and nobody wants to give everything over. So there needs to be something that sits above all that, this blockchain model. And that's what we want BricksChain to be. I do see a multi-chain universe out there. I don't think Chain will be the only construction blockchain player in North America. But I do believe that a large part of what we want to focus on is continued interoperability amongst other chains and other software packages and other key players so that we can really drive in the trust, integrity, transparency, and openness that a blockchain provides.
1: Hello and welcome to The Constructor Podcast. The Best Way to Build It, episode number 86. I'm your host, Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. We talk about fostering trusting relationships, help you to understand how to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule, and most importantly, exceed your end users' desires. Over the past couple weeks, we've been speaking about how we should be able to support our industry by working on it from within. We've been talking with startups who are doing this by disrupting the industry, by taking the way we want to interact with each other and aligning that with technological solutions that can support that behavior. So over the next couple weeks, we'll continue to speak with companies that understand that we need to disrupt from within. So last week, we spoke with Chao Sheng Shoreland, CEO of ShelterZoom. It's a blockchain-based online offer solution to make offers for real estate online. It streamlines the process of making real estate offers, reducing paperwork and bringing greater openness and transparency about when offers have been made and the acceptance, making it available for MLSs to simply plug into. Chow talks about how this solution will help buyers, sellers, landlords and tenants with the upfront offer process, just prior to the legal documentation process. They actually have plans to enable a global real estate market. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, check it out at constructor.com slash EP85. This week, we are talking with Bassam Hamdi, CEO and co-founder of BrickChain, a blockchain as-built data handover and chronicle solution. He has been serving this industry by providing tech solutions for the AEC industry for 19 years, and his passion is in providing owners with more information about their built assets. Ultimately, increasing value in the long term for resale, providing key information on projects, and consensus-driven operations and maintenance manuals. He wants to make using project data after your complete project easy transitioning into managing your built asset and for future owners. With that, let's get into the interview. Today, we're talking with Basim Hamdi, CEO and co-founder of BricksChain. He has 19 plus years of construction tech experience, and he says that 95% of project data gets lost. The complexity of Budgeting, planning, and managing a construction project leave major gaps in recording transactions in a permanent and coordinated manner. Basub, I'm really happy to get you on this podcast today. Thank you. First things first, just to kind of baseline with the audience here and share a little bit about you, could you give us a brief history of how you got into construction tech?
0: You know, how I got into construction tech is... uh, I really didn't like banking. So my first job at a school was at uh, Royal Bank of Canada in London, England, and spent a year doing that. I came from a family of engineers, civil engineers. So my uncles, my dad, my grandfather, and they were all wondering why I went to business school. And then I came back and I said, well, let me try this tech thing. And of course, I end up in their industry, basically. I think it was kind of meant to be. But yes, 19 years, believe it or not. Luckily, I started when I was 13, so that's fine. Oh,
1: that really helps, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, man. It's funny how things kind of come full circle and, and you find your passion there. Yeah. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about facilities management and asset management post-project. I just want to, for starters, what the state of the industry is on that front, and then we'll dig into Bricks chain and, and how it helps. Let me first ask you, what do owner operators need from their project data for facilities management or asset management purposes?
0: I think there's an interesting turn when you talk to uh, big owner developers, big owner operators. We don't build projects. We build facilities. We build buildings. We build the physical, but we've broken it down to these concepts of projects. And a project in itself is like, you know, they talk about, you know, three blind people touching an elephant. A project is different for the general contractor from the engineer, from the subcontractor. So when we talk about what does an owner need when a building is being completed construction, they need to know what's in their building in detail. They need to know what's behind the wall. And I think those are the interesting conversations we have with owners. I remember sitting with one early on in the days of bricks chain, and we were talking about, you know, what to do, getting some discovery done, the guy said, very frankly, he goes, if you can tell me why that wall is leaking, you've just solved the billion dollar problem. Because they really don't know. And I, we we have a joke around Bricks Chain. You could buy a 2002 Toyota Tercel, put the VIN number in Carfax, and get more information than you'd get buying a $300 million building. Wow. <laughs> it's nuts, right? Yes. Forget about the first owner of that building. What about the second and third owner? What do they actually have? problem case is dire in a lot of cases. You know, what if a material is known to cause cancer and is emitting something? Right now, we don't know if it's in our facilities. I think we could do better as an industry as well, just telling people what they're actually buying. I think this litigation game tries to keep everybody hiding their cards, when in reality, these are life and death decisions that we're making every day. So... Uh, They need everything, not the most minutiae. I don't think they care that, you know, Joe worked on March 23rd for three hours. I don't think they necessarily need that, but they need to know what Joe installed and how it was connected. Look at a picture of what was done versus going through reams of data because right now the alternative is just going through PDFs.
1: For one of my clients, you know, I went through a scenario with them where they wanted to just get a handle of all their assets or their portfolio of real estate buildings, right? Breaking that down into grave detail without say for instance getting, you know, their CAD drawings. I mean, lots of owner operators don't even have the software for BIM drawings, right? That's exactly right. Like we have this system, IWMS system that we want our CAD drawings to be uploaded, but it still doesn't like detail it out per the type of asset and the detailed level that they may be looking for. And it's a real problem. We went back and we asked the architect and engineer for something high level, but it's like pulling teeth. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. I mean, that I just came from AIA, so I have a lot of war stories around that the AIA National Conference, which is very funny side story talking about what's in a building. So three weeks before that, I was at Future Tech, primarily a general contractor's top 100 show talking about technology, large engineer, large EPC. And then I go to AIA. And in one breath in, at Future Tech, everybody's talking about their amazing specification parsing tool, you know, how they read specs into lines in a database. And then I fly to AIA, I'm talking to the guys that create those specs, and they're like, we have the best security around our PDFs. Nobody can take data from our PDFs. We could never be blamed for anything. I'm like, you should probably pick up the phone and call somebody at the other (laughs) side, because they're parsing your data. And, And they're like, no, they're not. Yeah, they are.
1: Oh my goodness. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. It's just nuts.
1: And that just speaks to why it's needed, right? Like people want that information in that level of detail and it's helpful. That's why they're doing it. So interesting. We kind of talked a little bit about how it's done now and like, are some of the owner operators talking to you about the challenges that they're facing specifically because they don't have this data at their fingertips?
0: There's a couple of main areas where they see ROI and, you know, there's an investment, obviously, so they want to know where the return is. A couple of things, if a piece of equipment is about to approach end of life, being able to understand when that's happening to more properly manage their portfolio. The other side is when something's under warranty. So when you're given a handover document in PDF and it's, you know, one year parts, five years late, whatever that breaks out to be, it's a very complicated model in some cases. And they sometimes don't even know that their assets are under warranty still. So if there's a warranty product for 10 years but they don't know and they just call a contractor to come fix something. That's a big loss on their site. And they simply don't have the data. So we talk about second owners. The second owner, you know, where are they really getting that information? You bring up a good point with IWMS solutions. The problem is, is that we start every asset. Procurement, like when you buy a building, we have to be like Columbo. You know, we have to go and find out what's in this building. <laughs> we have to do laser scans and asset audits and all of these things because we have no idea what we bought. And the previous owners, not being malicious, it's just you can't like take a hacksaw and cut out of the IWF's database the previous owner's data and like send that over. And nobody wants to give everything over, so. There needs to be this blockchain model, and I know we're kind of melding into it, but there needs to be something that sits above all that. And that's what we want Brick's Chain to be.
1: You definitely hit the nail on the head. I think that there are a number of stages where people need data. There's the maintenance of the building. It has to have the right maintenance schedule, and you have to understand what that is. But you also mentioned end of life. Same thing for those assets. And then even the building infrastructure, there's just so many layers. Thirdly, you mentioned the second owner or third owner or fourth owner, whoever that may be. And if they don't know what they have, it's going to be... It's a huge investigation period. And, you know, why can't it be like a Carfax report where you know exactly what you're getting?
0: Yeah, the data is there on construction. The data is there on TI. The data is there on IoT devices. It's just the data is poorly coordinated and not put anywhere. We use the stat of 95% of data is lost or thrown away on handover. To protect the innocence, I'm going to change the project name in the construction company When I was working with my first job, I was 25 years old Mm -hmm. and I closed out a stadium project because I, you know, quote unquote, knew the computer and it's like 2000 and we're using like Microsoft Access 97. God knows what's happened to that data. It really is a challenge that, you know, we build great things that endure, yet we don't let them endure properly.
1: Yeah, you got a great point here talking about Microsoft Access. How often is that type of software used now, but that data still exists somewhere on some server somewhere. And it's a matter of time where different applications are going to phase out because it wasn't useful anymore. And the data is still going to be sitting somewhere, but not accessible anymore, because now you've transitioned out of that system that's outdated and antiquated. Exactly. But that information is still super valuable, especially, you know, for companies, even if it's just 10 buildings and they've had them between 10 and and 30 years, it doesn't take a lot in order for that information to no longer be accessible. So that's crazy.
0: Yeah. And... If you think about it, you know, my father still has a VHS cassette recorder because he likes VHS videos. But the reality is, is that as the format changes, so does the data loss percentage. You know, like you mentioned, owners may not own Revit or, you know, AutoCAD or Bluebeam, any of these other solutions. They probably don't. And they probably don't need to own a copy of Revit. Uh, They just need the data inside of Revit. They don't care that it's a fancy looking 3D model. They just need to know what the specifications are from, you know, maintenance on an air handling unit is. So we keep on trying to force them to use BIM and BIM's becoming like a warm blanket, you know, like if only we could get to, you know, level whatever BIM. But The reality is, is once that thing is delivered and if I own a building, I'm not opening up that BIM model. I just want the data. I just want to look at stuff. And we keep on trying to force people to use these super expensive solutions that will eventually no longer work because that's just the history of technology. Every company that's listening to this knows there's one PC in their office that has like Windows XP on it because there's some form of data that they can't get off that PC. Like every IT guy knows that story. It's an unfortunate story. Because there's there's nobody that coordinated the data in something like a blockchain.
1: Well, and it takes that 10 minutes to start <laughs> yeah. it up and everything like that. <laughs>
0: you know that story.
1: Uh, it's like, oh, I, I
0: sure did. I got to use the XP machine.
1: <laughs> so you mentioned BIM, and, and that's an interesting subject, and we can dig into that more. And that same client I mentioned earlier who wanted the drawings handed over and put in their IWMS system. They actually were somewhat savvy and wanted to update their drawings because of like furniture moves and like some minor moves that aren't necessarily done by a general contractor. Just curious as to your thoughts about integrating those types of changes and how that data will be pulled in.
0: I always break everything down to the physical world because it's a physical world business we're in. So if a furniture moves, it has actual coordinates that have changed. So that's data. If a room has gotten bigger or smaller, the dimensions have changed. That's data. That's more important to me than, you know, dragging a wall or putting on a hollow lens and looking through it and seeing something. It's the data. And yes, whatever visual UX you like to get that data into a system, then use that UX. I like command line. I like typing, going fast. You know, other people like using the mouse and going slow, whatever works for you. But get the data in. A good owner, what you're specifying, that's a great owner. They want to know what they own, what their space is. The fact that they do it in 2D, 3D, or on an Excel spreadsheet fine, whatever, as long as the data gets in there. But once the data is captured, it's what happens once it's captured. What stops it from being changed or lost? You use the example of making a room smaller or changing the furniture. That directly infects like, things like maintenance and you know how many tiles you need to order. And if they don't have that data, they're over-ordering. So there's so much to it, but collect the data. That's where I would start.
1: I mean, it's so simple, right? Let's start digging into BricksChain. What is it? Just kind of break it down for us. What is it meant to do?
0: couple of things about BricksChain. The first thing we said to ourselves when we started developing it is we do not want it to be a transaction creator. We want it to be a transaction holder. Basically, I didn't want to train end users, you know, how to use a mobile app anymore. That was a big thing. We want to be kind of the underlying layer of data, the keystone of data, if you will. So that's the first thing that we talked about. The second thing is we wanted it to be technology skill agnostic to integrate with. We created about six lines of code that it takes to create a block in our bricks chain. So not a transaction creator, easy to integrate with. And then finally, to be construction aware. So now 19 years of construction technology, building actual tools used by a lot of companies in the field today. Now, I've probably personally touched out of that you know trillion dollars that the industry does, a year running on technology that I either wrote, designed, or sold them. I wanted to use that knowledge and not just keep on creating the same mousetrap. That's why we started with geometry rather than project, the basics of facility, building, floor, room, system, asset. We focused on that rather than capturing project data. So the core of BricksChain is a distributed ledger that captures data, during and after the construction process in order to drive a building to be more sustainable, to be cheaper to maintain, and to really be a transferable asset with Providence. So our goal is to map out assets. You know, it's the great building genome project of our time. Find out what's in these things and make sure that we track it going forward. And in itself, that's a currency data, but we are not a currency play. We are not an ICO play. I respect some of those folks out there that have done token sales and such but in a lot of cases they've detracted from the concept of blockchain. So sometimes I have to kind of mumble. Yeah, we're a blockchain play, you know, at the end of the day a distributed ledger locks things in so they can't be changed and are highly secure and highly efficient on how it holds data. It's not even up for debate. It is a better technology than a centralized database. The reality is is that we have to get over this kind of bitcoin hump in order to explain that
1: I actually have a slide in presentations that I've done over the past, I don't know, four or five months that literally says blockchain is not Bitcoin because people really do get that confused. Yes. Blockchain is definitely the the technology that supports cryptocurrencies. It's the technology that allows for that immutability. It allows for that level of security. It allows for you to trust the data because the transactions are verified, some level of consensus. Fortunately, we've been talking about blockchain for the past, I don't know, 10, 11 months now on the Constructor Podcast. So I would hope that the audience is becoming more acquainted with it. It is something to wrap your head around for sure. But at the same time, it's good to understand a lot of the different applications that are being made available. I want to jump into about your two products that you've released, Handover and Chronicle. Brickschain Handover and Brickchain Chronicle. Could you explain what both of them are?
0: A Handover is a process of creating consensus-driven O&M manuals. I call it blockchain light because it's really collecting data after the installation and basically bringing that to consensus via more traditional approval methods. The outcome of the blockchain is an O&M manual. It's taking what was designed to what was built and what is installed. Handover is generally focused on the general contractor walking in a meeting and saying, hey, I have some value add for you. Two things, A, I can hand over this building digitally, and B, I can give you the ability to put in warranty claims over the next year on this system. So you know you don't have to send me an email or a form and triplicate. So there's a lot of value add there. Basically provides the owner a great amount of information. It digitizes and takes out cut sheets. So it actually parses cut sheets. They know the warranty and the lumens that were installed and what is this thing, right? And pictures of the product. In the case of Chronicle, Chronicle is much more engaged. And that is the actual tracking of either a construction project or a building. And that is the idea that there is a blockchain component for almost every major shared output. And if you think of it as a large whiteboard, essentially, what do you as a subcontractor, contractor, AE owner, want to put on that board that everybody can see you put your stake in the ground and say, this is done. And so that really is what Chronicle is. So handover basically is hey the reality is these projects start too early and too late you know maybe they didn't find bricks chain in time so let's work with the industry to hand over these buildings at the end with them and then chronicle is let's work together to track everything from the beginning
1: so in that case, how would you describe then how Bricks chain Chronicle then would enable project managers to specifically record like transactions of information? So like say, so for instance, let's let's use an example like a request for information. Could you break that down for us?
0: So one of the great questions of our industry is why do we ask questions in RFIs? I think it's one of the things that we ask ourselves still. But the reality is. What is the system of record for an RFI? And so the system of record for an RFI is not the originating system of record, which is generally the subcontractors. It's probably not the GCs, although the GC is legally liable for that RFI. Is it the AEs? Because then we forward it to the AE, right? Is that owner system the system of record? So who owns the question? Well, the person asking the question, who owns the answer, the suggestion, the cost impact? What do you do with all this? What happens is it's all denormalized. With BrickChain, we've actually integrated through Zapier with Procore, for example. So you can put in an RFI in Procore, and it will be an immutable block in the blockchain that can be then used via a webhook or an API call, which is a simple plug, to get pushed to the next system. So it can be driven like you would a financial transaction, Basically, you put in the RFI, it gets pushed to this other system who is this other company's system. And once it's pushed in there, it's marked as an immutable block as well. And then they answer it and it goes back up to the blockchain and back down to Procore. That part of the connection we're still working on. But the ultimate workflow is you want to record those questions in the blockchain So there is no argument over when that email was sent or whether it was opened or did they download the drawing because it's being listened to on a format that is the blockchain, that is the background.
1: So in an ideal world, then... And I'm just thinking about my experience over the years, right? We've had the RFIs, an RFI document submitted via email. That's not the scenario that we're specifically tracking, recording the transaction. It's more an integration than with a project management system like Procore, for instance, that already has this data tracking and approval tracking mechanism that can then have these pushes essentially recorded on a block. Is that correct?
0: Well, that's one side of it. But the other side is we integrate with Google Sheets as well. So if somebody was keeping an RFI log in Google Sheets or Excel, they added a new row with a question, we could consume that RFI information as well. So it's really any electronic means that can push the data into the blockchain, or we as the blockchain can pull the data out. So a Google Sheet's a great example. You know, in a lot of cases, filling out a submittal log is still the job of a subcontractor and done primarily in Excel. Contractors have a very hard time getting their specialties to log into their system to enter that data in, but they could give them a Google Sheet that will become immutable in the blockchain. So we're trying to democratize technology on the construction site by allowing any types of system, both generic like Google Sheets or a Smart Sheets or a Slack even, or even the more complex construction-specific apps like Bluebeam and Procore.
1: This is the way I'm understanding it. Your hope is to be able to record those transactions and make it easy for people to operate in the way that they already do?
0: We want to change some behavior. We don't want to change all behavior. And I think, again, talking about future tech, one of the VCs were sitting up on stage smiling and saying, hey, we have 2,500 construction tech startups. That means we got enough apps in construction right now. There are enough apps forever. And however you want to get data into the system through a user interface, do it. You know, that's what you do and that's how you record things. But just know certain pieces of that data needs to be shared with the supply chain. And those pieces will be pre-plumbed regardless if it's Excel or a database-driven system pre-plumbed into the blockchain so it can be made available to all other members of the chain. We're trying to impact the end user the least. We don't want to have a huge day's worth of training or learn how to use a new solution.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And so we talked a little bit about the integrations with other software platforms. You said Slack, Google Sheets, Procore. What are some of the other integrations that you guys have?
0: Sure. Uh, ShareFile is one that's used. That's a big one for a lot of folks because a lot of people use ShareFile. MySQL, Oracle Database, so database driven stuff. We have integrations with force.com so that, you know, information driven through kind of a Salesforce or service Mac style interface can be brought into our blockchain. Dropbox, Google Drive. So just a whack of different integrations. I think we have 26 with about seven more on our roadmap.
1: Curious about, I mean, we talked about BIM a little bit earlier, like Autodesk products is granular level of detail sort of on the roadmap. Do they have a roadmap for integration at all?
0: We're doing investigations with Autodesk and Revit. We're working on integration with UBIM, who has a Revit plugin. Great guys. Um, We're talking about how can we get the data out of Revit into BricsChain. Unfortunately, a lot of the models aren't data rich or data rich enough. To provide any real value beyond geometry but we're working on that side there are also webhooks that we can utilize using the forge platform for further integration we have to see where that goes we ha- actually have not talked to autodesk specifically we have reached out once but haven't received a lot of feedback from them we'll
1: see where that goes well when the audience is listening to the podcast push this to the autodesk <laughs> and uh <laughs> It's good to hear that you guys are thinking about how to integrate BIM. And it's unfortunate that it's not data-rich. That's, again, a behavioral change that we'd love to have take place down the line so that we can take advantage of the data in this way. I totally hear you. So the Foundry platform, could you tell us what that is, what it looks like, and how it can be used?
0: Foundry is, um, in my mind, everything here. It's a combination of two different blockchain technologies that we utilize and a graph database. So it's really the engine of learning and of processing and of, on the big data scale, the ability to really drive the industry forward. Because we're creating a common language around buildings by collecting the handover data and chronicling construction and facilities management, we are actually helping the industry come up with a standard, at least in North America, that's been very elusive. Foundry allows you guys, hopefully long-term, to predict failures of buildings and predict other issues that may come up with the real assets we have in the world. Obviously, right now, it's early days. So those are forward-looking statements. But ultimately, you know, I talk about machine learning and AI uh, quite a bit. And one thing that we talk about is how do you get machines to learn about construction? It's so chaotic. And well, it's even more chaotic that we don't have a singular vernacular to talk about. So companies like SmartFit are really crushing it in the machine learning side around the concept of safety and analyzing photos and looking at things. Uh, but on the bigger scheme of how do we process whether a project is going to result in a bridge falling down? It's been, like I said, very elusive. And you know, I liken it to trying to teach a, a child how to read by randomly walking in the room every once in a while and screaming at the kid because we don't have any data standardization or data collection standardization. So how will we teach a machine what we can't teach each other? So Foundry ultimately is trying to be that great equalizer. Taking data, normalizing it using plain English tags, like company and subcontractor, not XBF underscore SC underscore name, like try to keep the tags very plain English, and then normalize the data so that we can report on it effectively. And so things like, you know, one of the early projects we undertook with Foundry is the merging of the recall database, the national product recall database with products that are installed in buildings. So we do a fuzzy logic match on things that have been recalled. And you'll be amazed how many products have been recalled that are still installed in buildings. So um, that's, a, that's a great example of just mashing up the data and getting a really easy thing once you're on the blockchain, an easy thing to produce, but a very difficult thing to do now. Well,
1: oh, that seems so valuable. It's taking the data that you have and making it tangible, if you will, so that you can understand, you know, on a, on a deeper level what to do next. So could you share with us about the blockchain protocol?
0: So we use two protocols. What is Uledger, which is a a blockchain that was originally built with Deloitte. It's a great company out of Boise, Idaho, who we have a partnership with. And they provide something called Merkle hashing, uh, Merkle encryption. So it allows a node to come to consensus without having to go back to the entire blockchain. So it's great for performance. We've introduced um, Hyperledger Fabric for smart contracting and other, you know, more complex workflow around the blockchain.
1: So let me ask you a quick question about case studies. Yeah. What are some case studies that you have going on right now?
0: We launched about a month ago. So we've been in stealth mode. We thought it would take us a couple of months to get our five pilot seats and it took seven days. So we filled up all five pilot seats over the last month. Two things that we're working on right now are two pretty hefty handovers. So getting the data out of Word, Excel, shared drives into the blockchain for handover. And the other one that we're very excited about is with a large owner who wants to manage the entire cycle of the change out of an air handling unit. So just all the way from initial specification through procurement, through logistics, through installation. And then ultimately maintenance. So that's not an entire building, but it's one part of a asset. So that's our most interesting case study, if you will, because my network generally is general contractors focused on helping them hand over projects better.
1: Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And then you're proofing that model, you know, time and time again. It's gonna be great to validate that it's it's very useful. So BricksChain is endeavoring to coordinate data on every asset on the planet. You talked about how quickly you guys were able to. Seven days to, to get pilots. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about what the future looks like. What are the next steps to achieve that asset data tracking on the planet?
0: Right now, it's very hands-on. All of that great automation isn't coming in handy right now because we're just figuring things out on the data acquisition side. So it's very human intensive right now, but over the next six months, we expect to drop off a huge amount of the manual labor that's required to parse a cut sheet. So that's the first step. The next step is really focusing on the supply chain and the marketplace focus of getting materials procured, delivered and installed into construction projects. So our focus is really the supply chain side of the game around smart contracting. I do see a multi-chain universe out there. I don't think Brick's Chain will be the only construction blockchain player in North America, but I do believe that we are kind of first to market and and hopefully first to product market fit. But ultimately, uh, a large part of what we want to focus on is continued interoperability amongst other chains and other software packages and other key players. You know, we would welcome manufacturers being involved at the same level we would welcome unions to be involved. We're trying to keep ourselves as open as possible so that we can really drive in the trust in Integrity, transparency, and openness that a blockchain provides.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience?
0: Overall, having been in this business as long as I can, I know one thing is that we all have amazing intentions. I think a lot of people beat us up being in construction or construction tech. They keep on talking about the productivity gap and all of these things. Ultimately, say that I think that we are innovative, hardworking industry that people don't think of enough because really everywhere you go, everywhere you drive, where you live, you know, where you work is all part of the built world. So I think ultimately we're all in this together and hopefully we can start breaking down the walls between the key players and the processes so that we can make it better for everyone.
1: Oh yeah. I love that. And I second that. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that for sure. Please tell the audience where they can find you and how they can learn more about BricksChain.
0: Absolutely. You can find us online at www.brickschain.com or call us at 1-833-BRICKS-CHAIN.
1: Thank you again, Bassam. This has been great.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: If you want to learn more about Bassam Hamdi and Bricks Chain, check out the show notes at constructor.com slash EP86. If you learned something valuable in this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Let me also know if you enjoyed our discussion by connecting with me on Twitter at Brittany underscore CT or find me on LinkedIn. You can just email me too at Brittany at constructor.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-E at construct R.com. Next week, we are speaking with Stephen Cutter, Chief Visionary Officer of the Wooji Foundation and the founder of... The landing eco institute while steven was at the world economic forum he participated in a hackathon and spoke about how blockchain can be used to help generate quantifiable rewards for the regenerative earth action in this episode we talk with steven about the benefits to building awareness of natural habitats for humans and how contributing to it can help businesses and individuals be more successful in their contribution to work and performance. We talk about incentivization behavior to encouraging a new standard to valuing our built environments and the humans in it. I look forward to sharing this interview with you next week. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so at your preferred podcast player. Please leave a review to show your support and let me know you're enjoying the podcast. I look forward to talking with you next week.